0: what's good baby it is the podcast mercenary mike for hire the puerto rican powerhouse himself chris and joe ramos back at it again with another review and today we are here to talk everything we can about the disney plus original series the mandalorian season two finale and it's called the rescue and it's directed by the one and only peyton reed who's got a good track record on this show so i can't wait to see what he brings so let's get started, shall we? All right, let's see where i are in notes. So we start off where Boba Fett is chasing an Imperial ship with a doctor on board. Now this seems the beginning. You see these two Imperial um, uh, soldiers or may- maybe pilots. They're not exactly transporters. They don't look like stormtroopers. They don't, they just look like regular Imperial guards because they're watching a doctor and they think he is pretty much beast bait. He is bait. They don't care about his comfort. He's there to lure the bad guys and be right to, well, bad guys in their opinion. So it, it's one of those things where, honestly, uh, it's, we finally get to see the humanizing of the Imperials. Now, in every war in history, everyone thinks they're on their right side of history, no matter who you are. I know it's a controversial topic, but, you know, one person's enemy is the other person's hero. It's, just perspective. I'm not defending the Imperial Empire, the, 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 the darkness, okay? I'm just saying I am coming from their human side because they think they're doing something for the greater good. And the way they talk, these guys at first, you don't get much uh, attitude out of them, but the more they speak, the more they're speaking something and kind of making sense of their ways. Because if you think about it from the outside looking in, the rebels are essentially a terrorist to them. We see them as heroes because we're told they're heroes. But when their already established, government, as corrupt as it is, it is run by the Sith and the dark side. To them, that's what they know. So those who are raised in those conditions, who probably weren't told the reason how their empire came to be, because it was a republic at one point beforehand. And that's where we're going back and forth. It's constant back and forth between the, empire and the republic and the way of government of the galaxy that we're in and in the outer rim these people are going to buy hearsay it's like yes things travel fast but sometimes some subtext doesn't get to them in time there's no like intergalactic cable channel where they can keep track of things or a a Wi-Fi, whatever you want to call it, there's this, sometimes things travel slower. So there could still be cruisers out there who even still think that, I mean, not that they think that they are still fighting the same war, but it's something in the lights of, they are still fighting for their cause because they can stay low key because they've never been in giant battles. And there's many cruisers out there that are in the galaxy, even in the outer rim where they can't be spotted easily. And they're just rebuilding for another attack so it's not over not that the war is over it's that their current battle has they lost but they're regrouping and they're going to come back and as you've seen the timeline it's exactly what happens they always come back bigger and stronger but they have to rebuild so this is the part where these imperials who are left are trying to essentially live in the underground and survive so they can build these forces. That's why they need Grogu's blood in order to build super soldiers, which have failed miserably, as the scientists explained. And it's just a big thing where essentially they're trying everything and anything to create some sort of force that can take down their enemies. And yes, most of the Jedi at this point in the timelines are dead. There aren't any Jedis left that they think. They're just legends, tales. People haven't seen Jedi until we saw Ahsoka. So Ahsoka's alive. It's... Good to say there's other Jedi also alive. We can't just assume she's the only one because as smart and cunning as she is, and she's not your standard Jedi, not every Jedi was that at the, um, uh, was it Coruscant? Or I think it was Coruscant at the, whenever the Order 66 happened, they weren't all congregated. So it's safe to say that even though many were betrayed, some could have been hiding this whole time. And like like Grogu has been, were smart enough to just lay low and, have seen the tragedies that happen to all of their uh, brothers and sisters around the galaxy, so it's that's why we're looking for this Jedi to train Grogu and continue his path of making them sure making it sure doesn't fall into the dark side and that's what the whole story that we're dealing with here is. This whole thing of like Grogu is a key to the balance of the universe and he might just be the next big thing as far as like a Yoda type character because since they live such a long lifespan, lifetime, eight lifetimes, 800 plus years, he is an investment to whoever has his hands on him, whether it's Sif or the actual Jedi Order. So this whole time, the science is there, they're getting stopped. And then he's chasing these Imperial ship with a doctor on board. He uses an EMP and takes them in as he pretty much gets them cornered, like Slave One, no one's gonna take down the legendary Slave One that Boba Fett flies. His plane or jet or spaceship, there we go, spaceship, is things of legends in the books i don't know of it in the books i just know of it from what i've seen in maybe comic books or i've seen it in also video games and especially in i think they're not clone wars or rebels i think it was more like a similar ship but his ship specifically the model is things that things of like if you're gonna have a fight a, a dogfight fight in space you want to have that so he's there he has them in and the two pilots try to reason with mandos mandos trying to board up and talk to the scientist. Now, this is the part where things get really dark because you have one who's trying to like, pretty much say, I'm giving up. And then is, I don't know if they're twins or brothers or what, they look very similar. The other guy shoots his buddy in the back because he's not letting his buddy take him in or take anybody in. And this is after he has the gun pointed at the scientists, like the engineer, like, hey, you're not taking him in easily. And it's just like the standoff moment. So the fact that his buddy gave in, When he quote-unquote had the high ground, it took away some leverage, so he had to pretty much kill him to think him, because he's like, listen, if I let this guy talk, he's going to sing with a canary and give him all the information to the enemy, and it's game over for him. So here we got a moment where Coward Dune, and she has that teardrop rebel uh, tattoo in her eye this Imperial guard or pilot sees it, he goes in this massive rant, calling them like terrorists and saying like, he's happy their planet went to destruction. And then this is the part where like, he's kind of like trying to get revenge on her. Like, hey, I lost some friends and the Death Star. And then she goes, makes a slide remark, like it's not a remark, but she's like, uh, which one, the first one, the second one. And then he wasn't having it. And they're having this tense moment where like, both sides finally see each other and are dealing with each other's um uh well you're facing your enemy that caused such grand deaths and tragedies but they're both guilty of this because the death star has done it multiple times around the galaxy where alderaan was a tragic casualty in this whole war because all the rebels were based there with Morgana uh, and with leia and It's one moment where we're dealing with both sides finally are facing each other and he's just going around like, I'm glad you are all dead. You know, you're the only survivor. I was there when it happened. And he's just enticing Kara, Dune. They want to take him in. And then Mando's there like in the background, like uh, stay out of this, but please Cara, control yourself. You're now a law woman. You're part of the good guys. You don't have to go down to his level. And man, he's egging her on. And then she just shoots him in the face and you hear him squeal like he is just screaming. I and mean, I would too, to be hundred percent honest, you put me in a, in a moment where I'm facing the guy, one of the guys responsible for taking out all my friends and family. I would have taken him out to the way he was speaking to her. it It's hard when you, it's almost like, yes, she's now a, a law abiding officer of the Republic. But at that moment, it's almost a standoff where the guy was going to go down regardless. He wasn't going to let go of an engineer. He wasn't abiding. But I'm not trying to make excuse for you know police brutality and intergalactic space <laughs> stories here that it's something like this guy had it coming because he killed his old comrade he is definitely not right in the head if he's going as far as to kill his buddy who was there probably like they all bunk together and he, he was out of it and he was gonna go down he was just wanting to get this monologue out just to rile her up and i think he was trying to get her guard down so he can shoot her and in the end she had a quicker draw than he did and she took him out with one shot right into the head and this is where they grab the engineer and they go underway. and it was one of those tense moments that like you really think about like this guy is at first they don't seem very like talkative like they're saying much but once he goes on this epic rant it's almost like, okay, this guy's definitely got some things he's been trying to say and get off his chest and he definitely got intense things to say because he goes in this great monologue where you can just feel it. You can feel like he is so hateful and he is without redemption at this point because he just sees everyone as well. Think about it. The enemies won. They took over and the new government's here, so he is now, now he's a terrorist. Now he's the, on the receiving end of this uh, barrage of attacks because he's just trying to survive. He's thinking he's doing something great, but he doesn't know that he's defending the darkness, the bad the bad guys. Unless, again, the bad guys never really truly think they're bad. That's one of those epic things where you're not really a bad guy because you just think you're, you're doing it for the greater good, but the way you're going about it doesn't come off as a greater good, so it's one, thing to, an, to another it's like this is pretty good stuff and good writing within the first few minutes of the show i was impressed so here we move on and we finally get the engineer he talks how it gives he he speaks because he wants to live he's not trying to get shot in the face either so you know mando tries to recruit bo katan and her crew at the bar like of course where do you find mandalorians you could always find in the canteen for obvious reasons that's where they can get jobs but also that's where they hang out and get their drinks in and uh, libations and uh, you know vent. i don't know that's where most adults hang out in public in the galaxy here it's almost like okay you're either going to be in a mission or you're going to be in a cantina it's the wild west logic and you're going to be in a saloon it's where you're going to find the cowboys right so boca tan's hesitant she's not a bounty hunter she's above that she's a princess she's royalty her mission is to find Moff Gideon and get her dark saber back so she can rule her kingdom and get get a rifle claim to her throne and then Mando's like well our mission is to find Moff Gideon and she's like it's impossible you're not going to find Moff Gideon and he's like well we actually know exactly where he is so are you in or not and she's like this is a suicide mission and then this is the words that he says he has a child and I swear to god every character in the show is like Averse to just helping Mando out, but once you mention the child, they're like, okay, this is definitely something we need to actually be proactive about. And that's the part that I love. I love the fact that they all have this, like, not a soft spot because certain characters do and don't. It's just the fact that this child is very powerful. And if he ends up in the wrong hands, that's it. It's game over. So that's, it's essentially this big weapon that whoever holds it, wields it, is going to rule the world for the next millennia. So, but during this bar fight, you have Mandos checking Mandos. They're here, they're checking uh, Boba Fett because they know who he is. They know what he is. The Mandalorians, the real Mandalorians, hate the clones. And the clones try to pass, a clone trying to pass off as Mandalorian because Boba Fett, remember, he's a clone, but he's like engineered that he actually can grow that normal, age like a regular person can, so he lives a regular lifespan versus most clones where their lifespans are like half because they're only created for combat, so he actually was raised as a child by Django and he has a very soft spot and this is where they talk back and forth like, hey, you should know wear that armor, you know, the real Mandalorian, and he's like, I'm not, this is my dad's armor. And then he's like, then she spoke with ten with the with the t- the two piece in the in the uppercut, saying, "Oh, you mean your donor? Oh, burn of the century!" And he's there, like ready to fight. And then this is where Costka Reeves, played by Mercedes Venara, aka Sasha Banks is there and she's the one she was the one about egging them on so they start brawling and then she even pulls down a tornado ddt on them to take them out and they both have the floors out and it's just stalemate and then it's like boca 10's like ceasefire why are we fighting so hard at each other we should be fighting the enemies this hard pretty much saying you're wasting energy because we got better things to do and yeah it's definitely what i would have done so they're there and this whole thing about getting grogu it's also gonna lead her to get the dark saber, but Kara wants Kara Doom wants um, Gideon alive, and then Katan's like, I don't care if he's dead or alive. I just want to deal with him. I will make him, you know, submit. She has a bone to pick with him because he has her saber, and she has to deal with this herself. So it's a very strong moment where she's like, I, Sure, you'll take him to prison. I have to humiliate him first and make make making him quit because <laughs> I'm too tough that he can't continue and this is personal on many levels because those whoever controls the darksaber rules mandalore and she needs that it's her crown that's what she needs to rule her kingdom and take over the world of mandalore which is currently i think uh being held by the imperials and still is one of their secret bases so with dr peshing on board and the ship, and now Boltaan and and Kasker Reeves. I didn't see the other Mandalorian, the guy that sh- that was in their group. It was just them two at this point, which is fine. Two two more people, and he, and so we got Cardune, Boba Fett. We have uh, Fenrir. We have so many like people that they picked up over the last couple seasons who they've met, and they have like a legitimate squad where they can take down anybody. And that's exactly what's going to happen in this episode. As they they go there, so they go and reclaim the ship back for help, and. They use this ship as a trojan horse where they are the ones playing the imperial you know pilots and then dr peshing is there and they're gonna crash because they use boba fett as and slave one, as since so a scenario where he's shooting down at them because he's neither uh rebel or or uh, imperial because he's a bounty hunter he's just there for whoever has the most cash because that's what bounty hunters and mandos do and of course it's a mandalorian ship so they know what he is but they crash in there and get in the dock bay. And then once they're in, all hell breaks loose and start fighting and it gets all epic. And this is where you notice, like, I didn't notice this till halfway through the fight, that most of the squad band over recruited was all females. It was all women, but some badass women. Like, this was some really, like, amazing fight sequences because it wasn't like the... The A-Team, I guess we want to call it in, in Avengers Endgame, which seemed a little forced, in my opinion. I feel like that, that whole scene was a little forced because it didn't really seem like they gelled that well. And it just seemed like, okay, we're just doing this for like fan service. This was legitimate, like, okay, we built these characters, they know each other, they can work together. And you got Kara as your heavy, her heavy gun, you got Boca Ten and Casca-Reed as your Mandalorian, you know, not sharpshooters, but as your front warriors, your Spartans, whatever you want to call them, they're there, and you you have a solid team here where everyone in there can hold their own, and it's like, oh, these are some badass characters, and that's what I love about them. They're, they We've grown to like these characters. We've grown to see them become like they just are badass because they're badass. And it's great that they actually got some of the best actors. I mean, they got the legitimate actor who played Bo Katan in the Clone Wars and Rebels. And she came back to do it in live action. She looked just, she looks the part. She fits the demeanor of this kick ass uh, warrior princess. And of course, Sasha Banks. I mean, How many Hell in the Cells have I seen with her? She looked amazing. Like, I just love to see people that can kick ass. So here's Mando leading this team of strong, badass women. And he's there with, I mean, was Boba there in the scene? Uh, No, he just went off, but I think he might have shown up later on. He just has to maneuver, had to warp out so he wouldn't get caught. And then he comes back to help after the fact. But then this is where they are, those of jetpacks. The jetpacks aren't just for movement. They use it in battle so they can maneuver around, kind of like the Jedi use their force push to move around in combat so they can dodge certain things. And it's one moment after another and some funny humor where Kara gets her gun jammed and they're in looking the elevator and she's like, you know, um, Watch my six will like fix my gun. And then she goes ballistic and shoots all the troopers in the ship. It's just a great sequence. Like this big old hallway scene. Similar to what you see in the Marvel uh, Netflix series. I'm like they're doing the hallway scene with uh, Star Wars. is pretty awesome. And I'm just there like this is this is dope AF. And I'm loving every moment as it moves on. And then at, towards the end, we get the information from the doctor. He tells them about the droid troopers and also how the... There are, the dark troopers are technically droids. They're not human because the flaw in the system was that the human inside of the armor because they're trying to make super soldiers but they couldn't absorb Grogu's blood. Thus, a lot of them were failed and probably died in the process of the scientific Frankenstein experiments that he did. So as they kept doing tests and tests they realized the human is the error. So they just made these crazy robots, these Terminator style troopers from the books canon to the series and the world of Star Wars now, and dark troopers who are like these giant juggernaut like robots and Mando in one scene has to fight one and almost gets wrecked to pieces. But thankfully for his best car armor, he's able to survive these attacks and get punched in the face repeatedly. Had he not, his brains would have been smithereined into pancakes. Like it was an intense action scene to say the least. But on that note, let's hold off because we got to take a small commercial break and we'll be right back. And we're back for him, where Jindarin was fighting the dark troopers, just getting demolished, straight up ragdoll. He hit the button to the door so the rest of them couldn't get to them and then sent them into deep space. All for nothing because they flew right back in the ship because obviously these robots have jetpacks built in them so even though they're in space, they can just fly right back to the ship without effort. Like, come on, really? They've already have cornered Moth Gideon because he had an epic scene where him and Mando have their final duel and that's where he wins the duel and gets a dark saber off. Gideon, but Gideon has a smirk in his face and he's like, What's up with you? Like, you're caught, you're not, you're done, you're not gonna go anywhere. And it's a moment where he's like, Oh, you'll find out later on soon because he knows what's gonna happen because he knows the lore of the Darksaber. So he knows something that Mando doesn't know because Mando is very, not naive, but he isn't educated in modern Mandalorian. Uh, customs and things they do. And this is where he finds out later on when they're all in the uh, I believe the cockpit of the ship that once they're all reunited but they <laughs> Mandel didn't know that he can't just return the Darksaber to Bo Katan. She wouldn't take it and he was wondering why you're not taking it. And Gideon's like, the Darksaber isn't as powerful as one thinks. It's the lore behind it and the custom and you cannot just give the saber back to someone, whoever wins it in combat is the true leader of Mandalore. And then this is the part where he's like, well, then I yield, see so here, I don't wanna, I don't even care about Mandalore here. And, and Gideon's like, that's not how it works she's still got to beat you in order to become the true heir if not you're the true heir of mandalore and it kind of creates this reluctant hero act arc where he's like pretty much john snow or john targaryen from game of thrones where he has this kingdom that he doesn't even give a damn about and it's crazy because he's like this guy that was just doing this mission and got caught up in all this craziness and he's just trying to turn his child back to a jedi and move on because he's just a bounty hunter he's just a simple mandalorian bounty hunter who's from an old school custom village that these children were essentially casted away refugees and they were raised in the old mandalorian ways of old mandalore and then these modern day mandalorians that we've seen from rebels clone wars and now you hear Mandalorian season two? They have their all sense of, of warrior customs that you can't just be given the throne; you have to earn it through combat. That's how real. This, this is a warrior race. This is how they live. So Mando would have to get his butt whoops in order to actually for Bo-Katan to lead Mandalore. So, so now he is the rightful heir, and this is where Gideon's like, mm-hmm, "See what I told you," and that's why Bo-Katan in the beginning was like, "Leave Gideon to me," because. His whole her whole plan was essentially Gideon's gonna be in this place, but Gideon is a mastermind. He knew where they were gonna expect him to be, and that's where he was where they weren't. So that's where we, we ended up with Mando Jinjarin getting an epic duel with Gideon and almost losing mind because Gideon didn't definitely held his own. And it's this moment where we're like, oh great, now I've gotta lead this nation I mean unless I get pretty much killed by Boca-Tan. So this creates a new level. And mind you, Boca-Tan said this Dijin Dharin did have a greater purpose than just being a simple bounty hunter. And here we got, oh yeah, the greatest purpose in her eyes, ruling a world of Mandalore. And it creates this weird tense moment. But then guess what? It's completely interrupted by the dark troopers returning like the Terminators. They just keep coming back, trying to knock their doors down to get to them. And they're all in the cockpit with, like, no way to take these down because he struggled with one of them. They just they have two objectives, to kill everyone in sight besides Gideon and get the child. They do not care what means they get. So they're there, you know, jackhammering the door, the big door to gets to the cockpit, and they're just in line like soldiers because that's what they are. They're just robotic soldiers. And Gideon's laughing, like, you caught me for now, but now they're going to come in, you're all going to get killed, and then I'll go back to running the ship, even though you destroyed most of my men in this vessel. But then something weird happens. And it's where this point of... uh, Ooh, silence we see in X-Wing. Now many people know whenever you see an X-Wing it means a, it could be anything It could be obviously an officer, but for it, it to be just one It seems a little skeptical and most people assume it's just like the return of such characters like uh, Ezra from Rebels because he was rumored to be the Jedi that could train Rogu because he's also dipped his toes in the dark side So people are expecting it to be Ezra, but they're there and uh um, it things get weird so a jedi and an x-wing arrives and kills all the dark troopers and as he's going he or she is going because this person's hooded through just killing them off like nothing moff gideon's trying to kill himself because he doesn't want to give up because you know jedi mind tricks they can, they can manipulate your mind to pretty much confess and he's almost ready to kill himself until so cower Tomb tune just knocks him out so the whole squad here is kind of just shook this jedi this one jedi was able to take down this entire army that they struggled they were struggling with one let alone the rest of them that they thought were gone came back they it was game over they were cornered and this jedi is able to wipe them out effortlessly even took one and crushed like a soda can and they're like who is this guy what what these jedis are like ridiculous. Like, seeing through the cameras, they're like, this Jedi is crazy strong, and going through them like nothing with, this, with with their lightsaber. And this is when you reveal the character off the shadows, and it's none other than Luke Skywalker himself. I'm like, Mark Hamill? But like, DH? Like, what the hell? Yes, so Luke Skywalker, and dressed like he's from Return of the Jedi, so this is definitely right after that happens. And he's there, and they're like, you know, he wants a child. He's there for the child, like everybody is. And that's what Mando's mission was to bring young Grogu back to a Jedi. And what better Jedi to bring him to than actually Luke Skywalker? Because Luke has also seen some darkness in his life. So it's great that he's able to um, essentially save young Grogu before he falls into dark hands. And it is great that this is happening because I almost said it's here. This moment got me hyped. I'm like, yo, what the hell? This is nuts. And we're here watching the show, not expecting somebody lesser known, somebody from Rebels, somebody, um, even a new Jedi that I wouldn't wouldn't introduce. But we got a Town on the first couple episodes of the show. No one expected Luke Skywalker. It was too predictable to, to be him. And guess what? It was him, so it caught everyone off guard and I was, I was losing it. The music was eerie. It was like a similar tune as Return of the Jedi, but it was just a little bit more melodic and hypnotizing and almost like somber, and then we realized what it was, and this is where um, Luke is talking to him. But let's give a shout-out to Jindarin, okay? He, by himself, was able to take down Moff Gideon I mean, he even had to use the Beskar spear to take down the droid trooper because his guns, none of them were working on even They were repelling bullets, and lasers on these things. So it took just mechanical, you know, human knowledge to just essentially put a uh, monkey wrench into a cog to stop one. Like he went, he goes all, all over on Martel on <laughs> Moff Gideon, Pedro Pascal here, and it. They were just done. They are like, we are spent. We've done everything we can. We finally caught the guy. And then these door troopers are coming back. And then Lord it that when Luke arrived, it was like a sigh of relief, even though they weren't really trusting of the Jedi. Mando was because he knew his mission. And of course, Mandalorians by nature normally don't like Jedi because they are opposing views of whatnot. But the fact that he's able to say like, hey, this is my mission. The Jedi are our friends right now, and we gotta just hand over Grogu. And then this is where Luke is like, oh yeah, I want to take him, but I can't just take him. He wants permission from you to actually go with me. Because he has this bond with Mando, like a father-son bond where he's like, hey, can I go to boarding school with uh, Professor Luke over here? And you get this moment where Mando finally takes his helmet off in front of Grogu. And has this like sweet moment where he's just, Grogu doesn't say anything, just touches his face. And then it goes off with Luke. And then out of the corner pops out R2-D2. I'm like, oh, the cherry on top. Not only is it just Luke, we get R2-D2. This is awesome. And that's how the episode ends. It's very much like we're stuck here where Mando, it might be the ruler of Mandalore, not even wanting to be just because of dumb luck, <laughs> finding the, the right enemy in the wrong time, I guess. Uh, Bo-Katan is conflicted because she doesn't want to kill Mando, but as much as she respects him, she wants her throne more, and she'll do anything that she has to do to get to that throne. But now we also have the Engineer in their custody, and also Moff Gideon in their custody. And now we've got to deal with the Jedi, which we thought were all killed off. They were just legendary warriors at this point, but obviously with Ahsoka being alive, there is proof of some Jedi surviving, but not the legendary Luke Skywalker himself, the son of um, the... Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader, and now that we know that this is real, it's almost like seeing the ghost of them. So this was a whole moment of like, wow, so he could have easily taken us all out because we were nothing against these dark Troopers, but he took them out without much effort, and it goes to show you how strong the Jedi truly are in the Force is. So this gets this moment of like almost like seeing something uh, otherworldly, and Mando trusts Jindar and trusts in himself to give the child over to him because he knows he's a good, not evil. But as the show ends, we get an uncredited scene. I just saw this randomly. I wasn't even paying mind. I was laying the credits all as I was checking my emails, and all of a sudden, a scene happens on Tatooine, I believe, because we're in the old um, Java's Palace, which was run by his by his um, Vizier at this point, and he's gotten a lot fatter over the years. He's also a twilight, and he has a twilight female still those a slave, which is kind of like an insult. Like, you got your own people enslaved, it's ridiculous. But you don't hear music, you just hear spurs. And like, okay, it's gotta be both, right? He goes in there and you see him in the shadows as he sends the warriors to, to the guards to take him out They fail miserably. It's Boba Fett. He's there with Fennec, and they're both there. And this guy is shook. He's like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And this is Bib Fortuna we're speaking of, by the way, in case you're wondering. Bib Fortuna was the guy responsible for getting Boba Fett almost killed. Well, yeah, at the Sarlacc pit. So Boba just, without seeing the word, shoots and kills him one shot. You see Fennec in this moment where she gets his blue liquor, and she pours it up. And now Boba Fett comfortably sits in Jabba's throne, and the end credit ends, and it says, We'll return with the Book of Boba. I'm like, oh, snap. We're doing a Boba Fett miniseries, aren't we? And I looked it up. Yes, confirmed. There's a Boba Fett miniseries. Now I'm more hyped because we're going to get season three of Mando and a Book of Boba miniseries right before the, it airs. So we'll have even more Mandalorian, more Star Wars by next year's Christmas. And I'm hyped. I can't wait this was literally the perfect conclusion to a perfect show i've never seen a season two finale literally hit all the notes it was five stars literally five stars everyone i've spoken to has said the same thing every reviewer on youtube and elsewhere on podcasts have all said this is the perfect episode no one has disagreed with me no one has downvoted it's all been unanimous that john favreau dave filoni peyton reed everyone responsible in this team knows star wars better than anybody else and They've done it they've revived a what was somewhat toxic dying franchise and brought back life and given people something hope to forward to look forward to because we're loving this storytelling we're loving the simplicity of arc, the arcs the the complexities in the dialogue for sure but the, the simplicity in, in the fact that it's like essentially a samurai story a gunslinger you know western it's thematically Something typically seen in Hollywood, but just with the skin of a space show, and I love it because they they know their characters very well. We're getting our slow burns to actually learn these new characters and appreciate them, because we're not just expecting fan service of both characters. And when we finally get it, it's not just fan service; it's like we've earned it because we've gone through this journey with Jin Darren, who I didn't even know his name in the first season. I kept calling him Mando, and we finally are seeing the conclusion of this chapter. And I cannot wait to see how the next one starts, where it drops off, how it's interconnected with the Ahsoka series and the other many Star Wars projects that were just announced. So, yeah, I'm super hyped right now. But uh, thank you all for tuning in to the CJR Meter Review of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian Season 2. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, take care and stay safe.